So, Boo, thanks for taking your time out to have a chat about green endoscopy. So I think you have to explain the concept and why going green is relevant to endoscopy. So it's an interesting journey. Uh, I, I kind of got into, into this just before COVID hit. We were talking about the environmental impact of healthcare in general. The NHS net zero plans were unveiled um, in October, and that kind of crystallized everything for us to say that, listen, our organization, our parent organization, uh, recognizes the carbon footprint or the environmental impact of healthcare in general. And uh, we should be doing our bit to contribute to the drive to achieving sort of as net zero as possible. Um, and the more we looked into it as a group, uh, the more we realized that actually there is a significant impact. Um, endoscopy is the third highest uh, generator of waste in healthcare. Um, we generate around, we, in terms of carbon footprint, but also in terms of just the waste, the stuff that goes in the bin, we generate around three kilograms of waste per, per bed per day. So it's a significant... Gosh, uh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. What is more resource intensive than even endoscopy? Uh, Theatres and anaesthetics. Anaesthetics is one of the bigger um, uh, offenders, if you like, because of uh, the gases they use. And um, entonox is one of those gases, actually, that is incredibly, uh, it's got a horrific environmental footprint. Uh, so we're, we're keen on exploring ways to either not use it or to uh, optimize its use. There are new technologies which allow you to recapture the gas that's escaping and, and, cr and crack it and uh, catalyze it to some harmless uh, forms. But uh, yeah, in general, anesthetics is, 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 is a high uh, contributor and perhaps single-use items are one of the drivers. If you compare our practice, and it has been compared for, say, ophthalmic surgery between the UK and India, um, the footprint of ophthalmic surgery in India is several times smaller, probably six or seven times smaller than, than that in the UK. So this, the, the argument that sometimes gets posited is that developing countries are, are worse offenders. Actually, the reverse is true in healthcare, for sure. And so single use is one of those items. Yeah, so that's, that's where it all started for me, is I kind of got involved through, obviously, my interest in endoscopy. Um, created, a, there was a, another uh, colleague of ours in Cornwall called Will Stableforth, who's been a long-term uh, environmental campaigner, much more sort of grey hairs in this. Uh. So he and I really worked together, and we created a, a group of like-minded, interested clinicians. We called ourselves Green Endoscopy. Um, obviously, um, that seemed like a good a good term. But we've been supported by the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare in Oxford. Uh, we've been supported by the BSG now. You know, keen to, to sort of bring everyone along and try and do our bit um, to make endoscopy as sustainable as we can. So what can we do then in endoscopy to, to make it more sustainable, would you say? Are there any quick and easy fixes? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. If we if we look at, um, if you kind of use the principles that everyone, hopefully everyone's familiar with when you talk about uh, personal change in environmental um, sustainability, re reduce, reuse, recycle. So we can reduce what we're doing. I think in endoscopic terms, that means triage. 
I don't think there's an endoscopy unit in the land that will say, yes, every single endoscopy we do is 100% appropriate. That's certainly somewhere that we can have an immediate impact. We learned through COVID that, unfortunately, that requires quite heavy administrative burden. You need to shove your senior decision makers closer to that triage line in order to make it as effective as possible. But it is worth it for all sorts of reasons. Environmental impact is one of them. The, our catchphrase now is that the greatest waste is a procedure that didn't need to be done in the first place. You know, and uh, there's a recognition, though, that the demand for endoscopy increases year on year. There's, we have to do triage, and that's probably the most impactful immediate step. I remember maybe 25 years ago, there was a Swiss initiative to try to hold down on what procedures were the most likely to yield an outcome which, uh, which would actually affect management. And it was difficult to spot things that we definitely shouldn't do. As you say, the guidelines that exist right now to, to guide us in terms of appropriateness um, from BSG, from ESGE and, and others are, are quite broad, but they will help us. And I think broadly speaking, you, you, and, you and I, I think both review abstracts for the BSG when, whenever there's a a conference, we have some people saying we we uh, we validated our waiting list against the polyp guidelines, and usually it's somewhere between 15 and 40 percent, sometimes inappropriate. So there's a big chunk of work there that could be removed, and you won't incur that carbon footprint. And don't forget, it's not just the procedure, it's the patient traveling backwards and forwards. The, the NHS is actually responsible for 5 percent of the whole of the UK's emissions. So it's a big chunk, and, and of that, 60% of it is because of patients travelling back and forth. The most wasteful endoscopy is the unnecessary endoscopy, or perhaps the, Rona Melora would argue, the endoscopy which is done badly contributes yes. nothing. Uh, yeah, agreed. And actually, it triggered a memory in terms of biopsies as well. So um, the carbon footprint of biopsies is, is, is an interesting one, which we've just come across. There's some, been with some work in the U.S. We estimate that for every three biopsy pots that you process, that's equivalent to driving two miles in a car. People take duodenal biopsies just to make sure, or gastric biopsies for no, no real reason. I remember a paper that was, I think it was Mark McLinden, they looked or how often did the biopsies change practice in upper GI endoscopy and it was something shocking like 16% of the time or some some very, very low figure that, that the biopsies actually really made a difference. So that's a big thing we can do and the first one on your list of three, reduction. Yes. What was the second step? Reuse. So that's an interesting one because uh, obviously over the last decade or more, there's been this huge drive to single use everything. And now I think we're seeing the pushback against that because I think we recognize that we can't just keep on doing that forever and ever more. And we used to reuse things all the time. Now there's a real drive in the NHS from the top down, including procurement and infection control and, and estates and everything to, to help us to try and find ways to reuse things. Specifically, uh, you know, I think we can all come up with some ideas or some some instances where we think we, we might be able to do that, but um, it's going to take some time to work through to, to kind of undo the last 
10 years of, of single-use brainwashing, I guess. <laughs> and I guess also industry can play a part in this, come up with clever solutions and, yeah. and make changes in the, in the design of equipment, maybe detachable head of the snare, so that can go in the bin and everything else yep. is recycled. There must, be, there must be clever engineering and design that can help us with reuse of equipment. Yeah, and, and I think that's, we will need to have fairly robust conversations with industry because, again, that involves, you know, investment on their part and, and costs on their part. But now more than ever, I think we're in a position as the NHS to say, if you don't do this, we just we won't do business with you because we can't afford this anymore. And the NHS as a whole wants to ensure that it and its suppliers are, are, are sort of contributing to this net zero drive. I can start vetting referrals tomorrow. And I was going to say the good news is we've got time for that. Uh, the, the net zero timeline is, is 2040. So we still have some time, but I think everyone's feeling the urgency now. We're seeing the effects of climate change around us and, and we all feel like we need to be doing something um, to, to, to sort of minimize. One of, one of the interesting things that we, we the realization was that actually the, the impact of what we do in our personal lives is fine. And, I'm, and I, would, I would never dissuade anyone from making those changes in their personal life. But actually, a lot of that will be completely wiped out by the wrong choices at work or, or more impactful choices at work. And, and because of the, the volume and the nature of the stuff that we do in healthcare, it can it can completely you know a day's work can completely negate your year's worth of efforts of carbon reduction in the household. A cycle to work that's uh, seven yeah. miles or something. That's two polyps analyzed. Then <laughs> I wouldn't want to hold myself up as a shining example of environmental uh, you know activism or anything. But I don't want to say I'll never take a flight again. But I certainly haven't yet. <laughs> and certainly to fly for conferences, I think, is, is, is a difficult decision, I think, now. I, I think you're right. There might be engineering solutions out there to, to attend it virtually in 3D and kind of feel like you're there. Yeah, I think there's, there's certainly stuff coming. And, and um, I think um, maybe we have to find a way of, of minimizing international travel and, and just keeping national... Um, uh, maybe we can have a national center which broadcasts so that at least people are being able to meet uh, nationally than internationally. Or choose places with very good rail links, for example. Yes. <laughs> I, I know Le Leeds is very well linked. So that was reduce, reuse, but there's a third thing we can do, didn't you mention? Yeah, recycle. And I think this is a really interesting one because there's a lot of technology that's already available um, or a lot of infrastructure that's already available within the NHS to help us do that. Um, the WHO estimate, and this might be an overestimate, but it estimates that somewhere between half and 80% of all of our waste in healthcare is recyclable, which is an interesting wake-up call because Pre-2020, I think everything just went in the orange bin, but yeah, and then that goes to be incinerated. But pre our sort of awakening, if you like, certainly in my in my endoscopy unit, that's all we had. And still goes straight up the chimney. 
that's that's significant. The impact of that is several times greater than if you if you incinerate at high temperature, which is what you need to do for infectious waste. But if you can recycle, then you pretty much negate all of the carbon impact that way. Every hospital in the UK already has the infrastructure to recycle. That's pre-existing. Um, you all, all that a unit would have to do is to ask the waste management team or their estates team to put the recycling bins or to give you the recycling bins so you can put them in, in your endoscopy departments or the endoscopy rooms. And so when you unwrap a snare or when you unwrap a, a piece of equipment, that wrapping is recyclable. So you can put that and it hasn't been near a patient, hasn't touched a patient, hasn't been used in direct patient contact. So it can go in the recycling and at least you can um, begin to do that. So you're not talking about the black waste disposal bin. This is a recycling bin. Yeah. I mean, I guess you obviously well, I have to caveat all of this by saying, listen, you have to discuss this with your local protocols. But I think mostly the protocols are the same across the NHS for that. So that's that's certainly one thing that we've been encouraging people to look into. And there are a lot of innovative companies who are now working with the NHS to recycle things that have been used in patient care. So previously, things that we couldn't um, by infection control policies recycle. We're, we're, people are making inroads into those things too. So hoping that that will be um, something that we'll, we'll see more and more frequently. And that's something we could start us start doing tomorrow. That, that would be something that I would love everyone to, to do. If the reps and the industry hear the same message over and over again, then it's a bit like the plastic bags in the supermarkets. That, that change didn't happen overnight. It took a huge groundswell of you know, market research, popularity, peer pressure, all sorts to, to get that done. I think we need to do the same in, in our sphere. You know, you then have to undertake a little bit of staff education to say what, what is the right thing to put into these bins. Don't put infectious stuff, certainly don't put sharps. In. And then it starts to get people interested and say, oh, you know, we're, oh, we're starting to recycle. That's great. What else can we do in our, in our unit to, to reduce our environmental impact? And, and one of the other things that we're doing or we're asking people to consider is appointing champions, a link nurse, a clinician, get the endoscopy users group to have a, a, an agenda item for sustainability. JAG have actually made it part of their GRS. So that's, that's really exciting and, and very forward thinking of JAG. And you mentioned 2040. Is that the long term goal then to for the NHS for health service delivery to be carbon neutral by 2040, would you say? Yeah, that's that's the sort of, that's the stated target. Um, the, the, the net zero um, uh, initiative is kind of set out in a, in a, in a document um, and that, that's freely available online. It's a really useful read, actually. It's certainly the first document that I really read to start um, thinking about this. We're aiming for an interim of 80% by 2035. And it kind of sets some milestones. And so there's NHS itself and what we call NHS Plus, which is the supply chain and the yeah. partnership with industry. So, um, yeah, lots, lots to do. Ambitious targets, but I think realistic and, and necessary. Actually, the other thing we, we should mention is, is water. Because of DCOM, we're, we're possibly the number one, apart from maybe dialysis, but I think we're the 
number one users of water in healthcare. And the trouble is that's purified, ultra purified. It's taken a lot of energy to even make the water in the first place to the standard that we need it. The rule of thumb when we last looked at this with the reprocessors that we had, which one scope, clean one scope, took anywhere between 70, 70 and 100 litres of water per scope, per use. So it's, you can imagine if you're doing, you know, 6,000 colonoscopies a year, um, that's a hell of a lot of water, 600,000 litres of water per year just for one unit. And that's just for colonoscopy. Um, the newer generation of scope cleaners, the, pro the automated processes are, are using less and less water. So we can even get down to maybe 20 to 25 litres of water for that um, metric. But even so, it's still, it's still a, a lot of water per scope um, and it needs to be taken into account. Yes. If you look at the three headings, reduce, re reuse and recycle, where would you say the biggest wins are in these three groups? Yeah, well, I think reduce is certainly an immediate win. The NHS is, you know, we, we're an anchor institution. We're, we have a lot of influence. It's the biggest employer in the UK. So the chances are that somebody, you know, you're walking down the street, there's a good chance that they work in the NHS already. So there's a lot of people who could be influenced and, and could influence others um, if we get our messaging right. And I'm glad to say that that is happening, uh, you know, in the, in the organisation as a whole. So do you? I admire you for tackling this big, difficult issue of, of green endoscopy. I'm very um, humbled by your comments, but it's not just me. There, there are, there's, a, there's a group of us, for sure, and, and, and that's partly the reason why we can make these changes, because I, I don't have all the ideas or all the answers as, a, as an individual. We need to be working together. You saw how the world mobilised when COVID hit. If we could put, you know, even half of that in, into climate change, then I think we'd be making some real differences. Um, but, and, the, you know, the threat from climate change is many, many times worse than COVID. Um, COVID has been truly awful, but it's not really the thing that finishes us as a, as a as species. So what's next, Boo? That's a great question. Uh, getting more and more people to join in the the cause and the drive to what to to improve i think the more people are involved the more ideas we'll see coming through um and just encourage people to join green endoscopy we'll be setting up web pages um there is a forum already uh, that people can join um through the center for sustainable Healthcare, um the csh uh, the bsg is obviously putting up web pages so that people can uh you know, contribute and send us ideas um, if they've come up with a new strategy, a new way of doing stuff. But yeah, for sure, everyone should be giving industry that message and saying, listen, we, we, we need you to do your bit now. And otherwise, you'll find we won't buy your, your equipment anymore. Um, there's guidance coming, um, BSG and or the group of us being endorsed by the BSG. And the ESGE, I know, are working up some plans, uh, World Endoscopy Organization too. So it's it's all happening. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a, this is a ground up and top down sort of uh, movement. We have to make it come from both sides and, and everyone do their bit. Thanks for taking your time, Boo, to have a chat to me about green endoscopy. I'm uh, going away a wiser man, I feel. <laughs>
Great to talk to you.